Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Chris Hunter. I'm the youth pastor here at Journey Church, and I'm just excited to be able to share with you this morning. I have a confession. I'm not doing very well on helping convert my children to my favorite sports team. Uh, I have two daughters and a son. Obviously, my son's too little. He's like seven months, so we're going to make sure we start and get him conditioned, I mean, just manipulated to like the Patriots. Um, Aaron's done a pretty good job. I think all his kids are Broncos fans, so that's good for him, I guess. They're not doing so hot right now, either, the Patriots. But um, my daughter and I were watching the football game. I was watching the football game. They were sitting next to me, and I'm like, y'all go Patriots. And my oldest, who's a rule follower, says, go Patriots, you know. My, my younger one, who's not the rule follower, who likes sarcasm, who likes to go against everything that I say, asked me who the other team is. I said, honey, it's the Rams. She looks at me, smiles, go Rams. <laughs> couldn't convince her otherwise. If she becomes a Rams fan, at least it's not the Cowboys, is what I told Steven. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, in this, this message that we're going to be going through is, is about influence. And obviously in that, we can try to put influence on our kids and make them think one way or the other. But uh, what is influence and how does it affect us? And, and when we look at the definition, influence is the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the action, behavior, opinions, etc., of others. And the thing that sticks out to me, power of persons or things to be a compelling force. We are daily being influenced by things, whether we know it or not. Um, it always seems like I preach around New Year's, so I'm always thinking of, oh, New Year's resolutions, all these things. And to be honest with you, I wasn't thinking that this year, because this year's been an interesting year. It's 2020. Uh, most of us are like, let's get it done and over with, and hopefully 2021's better. But I noticed that this year had a lot of influence on me. When we first were quarantined, and we were at home all the time, I found myself watching way too much news. It's like, I'd turn on the news and be like, what's happening today? What's happening today? What's happening today? And it wasn't good news because the news that was going on was highlighting the, the riots that were going on and me being a police officer in town. I wasn't like excited about that. I was like, oh shoot, if this comes to Gillette, do I want to be a police officer anymore? And it was stressing me out. I'd see violent acts against officers and things like that. It was just a very divisive and chaotic time. And the more and more I watched the news, the more and more I felt so negatively about how things were going. Even to the point where I was just like, I don't like this world anymore. <laughs> like, this is frustrating. I felt so much negative stuff coming out of me and how I was reacting to it. I didn't like it. And I realized, man, this is having an impact and an influence on me. Other things that I noticed as a kid that were influencing me uh, was like the music I listened to. 
It wasn't until I went to like a church camp and I started to hear the message of Jesus Christ and, and, and felt convicted of what my music was saying. And, I, and at the time, we had CDs. So like you had to buy your music. It wasn't just a monthly subscription to Apple Music and you can access to everything. You had to buy them. You had to really commit, invest. And so I had a big book of CDs that, you know, you don't scratch because then they don't work anymore. Um, and I invested a lot of money into these things. I was like, man, I don't want to throw these away. But I noticed when I was listening to it, it was changing the way I viewed myself. It was changing the way I viewed myself as a man. And I realized this is not good. And I took those CDs and I threw them in the garbage can. And I was like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I walked away. And I wish I could tell you that that was it. No, I went back and grabbed a few more and put them in my car. So I, had so, I didn't have anything to listen to. That's my excuse. I didn't have anything to listen to. And even with those few CDs, I found it still impacting the way I viewed things and how I acted. And just this overinflated confidence or arrogance that came from the music that drove through me. And I was like, I don't want this anymore. This is not of God. And this is not what I want. It was influencing me. Whether it be the TV shows that you watch or things that, like that. Uh, studies have shown, and this is a sad thing. And I was talking to my daughter the other day, and she associates getting a phone. She's like, when can I have a phone? Da, da, da. She associates when you get a phone, you're an adult. Isn't that sad that like my child thinks that when you get a phone, that's like, oh, you're an adult when you have a phone. It's, it's part of like being an, an adult and growing up. And I told my daughter, I said, I wish I couldn't, ha I wish I could get rid of it. But unfortunately, we've, been we've gotten so connected in those things where you can't even not have a smartphone because you got to answer your work emails. You got to be able to respond to people immediately. And so it definitely increases our captivation in our devices. And sometimes we find ourselves scrolling through nonsense and an hour has passed by. Studies have shown that adults spend about 10 to 12 hours on their screens, whether it be a TV, a phone, or any kind of device. What are our kids watching? What are our kids seeing in us? And the sad thing is, is you know, I work as an SRO, and so I get to see what happens with the, the kids and how it's influencing them. But I also see how many have devices. And I recently watched the documentary, Social Dilemma. And in that documentary, it brings out a very profound point that suicide is in mental health and depression increased in teens significantly when middle schoolers had access to smartphones because they're constantly connected. There's constant opinions, influence, everything they're seeing. I remember as a kid, my youth pastor would talk about this. You know when you're at the grocery store? And you see those magazines on there? You just got to look the other way, right? That was the biggest temptation. Whether you're a boy, it's like, don't look at the bikini models. If you're a girl, don't act like you have to have that body image. Now it's like, oh, by the way, your device is right there in your lap. If you have, you can pop it open and look at it. So we're constantly being influenced. It's everywhere. And it's unfortunate because this year I found out, and, and I try to stay within to see what's going on with the youth, but this year I found out that a man had made the decision to live stream his own suicide. And so the video got posted onto a social media platform and got distributed throughout middle schoolers who were seeing this graphic scene unveil right before their eyes in HD. And I'm going, well, how do we, how do we combat this trauma? How do we combat these things that these kids are being hit with? Because we don't know how bad or what they're doing and how much it's influencing them. And so we look at these things and I go, what's influencing us? And 
I figured the best way to explain it would be called the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I want to start with the ugly. And we're going to go through scripture verses of people in the Bible who they were, so, they were influenced by something, one thing or another, and it caused them to make a very ugly decision, caused them to fall in a very ugly way. The first one that's very obvious in scripture is Judas, 30 pieces of silver. That's what motivated him. That's what influenced him to make the decision that he made. And in the scripture, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas the Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over, speaking of Jesus. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man I arrest him. The, one, the man arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. For 30 pieces of silver, what does that look like today? $200. That Judas was willing to betray Jesus Christ for $200. It's sad, but it doesn't stop there with the, the people that made countless mistakes in Scripture. We look at David. Yeah, the one who de defeated Goliath. David was at home and made a terrible mistake while the men were at war. And this is what happened. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. David, a king, an honorable man, sees this woman bathing on the rooftop. He knows He's not supposed to be doing this. this is, he's, he's giving in to the lust. The lust is influencing him. He asks, who is she? Well, he, this woman is the wife of someone else. Again, another clue. Do not do this. This is a wife of another man. And David ultimately falls into his temptation and is influenced by his lust. And it doesn't stop there. We read further in Scripture that David not only tried to... Uh, cover it up. He finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant. He tries to cover it up, and he does several different ways to cover it up. But it ultimately leads to a very ugly, ugly sin. We look into Scripture at the denial of Christ. Now, I look at this, and Peter's the one who denied Christ three times, but he did exactly the same thing as Judas. He betrayed Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. He had walked with Jesus, and yet, when it came time, when things got difficult... He was so influenced by, well, this isn't going well, and Jesus is not looking good. He's walked away as a criminal. He doesn't look very powerful right now, and I'm scared to be associated with him right now. And a young girl comes up and asks him, do you know this man? And he says, no, I do not. It wasn't like somebody prominent. It wasn't like a, a person that would be like, oh, yeah, this, I'm worried about what this person thinks. It was a young girl and several others that were just... Just basic, just average people asking him, do you know him? And he couldn't even say he did. A terrible, ugly sin in which he regretted and felt terrible for. Also, disobedience and fear. And we look at Jonah. 
And Jonah's interesting because Jonah was asked by God to go speak to the Ninevite people. God's telling Jonah, I care about these people. I want you to go speak to them and try to reach them. And he refuses to do so. And he runs from God, ends up on a ship. And the waves and everything starts going out of control. And the people on the ship are going, what is happening? And Jonah says, it's because of me. And he throws himself off the ship. When the ugly happens, there's things we respond with. And when the ugly happens, I think the first thing that we do is, and it's what Adam and Eve did initially, is they hid in shame. We've made a mistake. We hide in shame. And we stay away. The other thing that we do is we try to cover it up or ignore it. And I think of David, who had gotten Bathsheba pregnant. And the thing that he did is he tried to have Uriah come home and sleep with his wife so that he could say, oh, it's your baby. And he would have no idea. But Uriah, being a faithful man to the troops that were out at war, said, I can't go home and enjoy the pleasures of of my home life while all the other soldiers are out at battle. And he refused to go home and spend time with his wife because it wasn't fair that he got to do that and the other ones didn't. So then David says, I got to cover this up. I got to get rid of it. And so he sends Uriah to the front lines of, of the army and he's killed. David, through his sin and the influence of lust, not only sinned sexually, but he also murdered and killed a man to cover up his own sin. Just like, Adam, or just like Abel and Cain, when Cain killed his own brother because of jealousy and frustration that God was pleased with his sacrifice, Cain is asked by God, where is your brother? And he says, am I your brother's keeper? Tries to ignore it, acts like it's not that big, like it, I don't want to even acknowledge it. But that ugly sin is still there. The next thing we do is we sometimes stay longer. We get built up in the shame and, and just the decisions that we've made and we just stay longer in it. Expecting that this is all that it'll ever be and we can't see our way out of it. And ultimately, the end, it destroys us. And I look at Judas and I think of his story and a lot of us don't hear the end of his story. But in Matthew 27, three through five, when Judas who had betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they responded, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. And I think about Judas in that moment. When he first went to him, he says, what are you going to give me? What are you willing to give me? And they give him 30 pieces of silver and he opens it up. I can just imagine him opening it up and being excited. I got 30 pieces of silver. This is awesome. And then he sees Jesus led away like a criminal, a man he walked with, a man he knew, and I believe genuinely cared about. And he realized this 30 pieces of silver is just worthless. It means nothing to me anymore. And it said that Judas responded and he threw the money into the temple. It meant nothing anymore because he saw the damage that his sin had done. And the sad thing about Judas's life is he went away and hung himself. The sin can so easily get into our lives, it can cause us to feel so much shame and guilt and ultimately destroy us, just like it destroyed Judas. I believe Jesus genuinely cared about Judas, but it speaks to 
our free will. That even though Judas walked with Jesus and Jesus taught him and spoke to him, that he still had the free will to tell Jesus no. And it didn't take anything great to, to, to influence him to step away. It took $200 worth that Judas was willing to step away and betray Jesus for something material like that. Sometimes we're like that too. We seek something that we think is going to fill us up, going to make us feel better. In the end, we feel like it did nothing. I call it the cliff where we will feel some sort of temporary pleasure. When we give in to something and it's that temporary pleasure and we feel good, sin can sometimes feel good initially. But the cliff at the end is what kills us. The cliff at the end is what causes so much damage in our lives and we regret it. But the problem is, is a lot of us hide in shame and carry that shame. We stay longer. So you know what we do? We go back to the same old thing and try to get that high to feel good when that's not going to satisfy us and the cliff is there again. How many times have we gone through the same things over and over again and it's caused so much pain in our lives? Now we're going to talk about the bad. And the interest, why I call it the bad. The bad and ugly are both equally bad. They're both sin. There's not one or the other, but one is, I, I call it the bad because it's less obvious. Something we might not recognize immediately, or even people around us might not recognize immediately. And the paralyzed with fear, I'm talking about David and Goliath. And in the story of David and Goliath, Goliath, a Philistine, is challenging the Israelite army. He's standing in front of him. He's a huge giant. And he's saying, anybody who's willing to come out and fight me, come fight me. And he's defying the Israelite army. It says, then the Philistine say, said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Sometimes there's something in front of us and something in our way that is causing us to be terrified with fear. Or maybe we, we just think somebody else will do it. And so we do nothing and we sit. Sometimes we can be paralyzed with fear. Other times we can have self-righteousness and be judgmental. In Luke 18, 9 through 13, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers are even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the one, other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who, are humbled, who humble themselves will be exalted. Comparison and being self-righteous and judgmental. When I think of that, I think of when I was a kid in, in, in youth group, and I wasn't like the best kid in youth group, but I wasn't the worst kid in youth group. So what I would do is I'd see the best kids that were like singing the praises, raising their hands, and I'm in the middle, like, oh, I don't want to do that because I'll look weird in front of all my friends. And then there's the kids in the back who like, I know are out smoking and drinking outside of church and really don't want to be here. And I said, well, I'm not as bad as them, 
but I'm not as good as those. In a way, I was kind of saying, I'm okay. As long as I'm okay, as long as I'm not, you know, as bad as those people, then I'm okay. And, and the sad thing about that is when we start to compare ourselves and we start to think, oh, well, this or that, we minimize our sin. We ignore it. We stay in that state of this self-righteousness or whatever, and we don't, let, we don't recognize the sin and we don't deal with it. I, I, I've explained it to youth kids like this because a lot of times our thinking, we think like, I call it the ladder thinking. Because all around us, everything is a ladder. We are constantly trying to move towards areas of improvement our, in our job. We're trying to get to different levels in our work. And so as we build up the ladder, we start to get more, you know, responsibility. We're seen, up as, seen as higher in, in this, we'll call it the food chain of work, whatever, you know, with the manager, the peons, and who knows. Um, so in our spiritual life, we sometimes sit there and say, well... I go to church, and we step up on the ladder. They don't go to church. How terrible are they? Or, I read my Bible. I give tithe. I do this. I do that. And we start to sit there and go, I'm doing pretty good. Look at all these other people. They're terrible. God doesn't work that way. And we see that right there. You see the Pharisee who's claiming, bragging about all, man, I'm so glad I'm not like even that dude over there, the tax collector. He's terrible. I do all these things. I'm so great. And he's, he's seeing himself as the ladder. And in that culture, there was caste systems. There was, there was like jobs and things that would elevate you to statuses. And we sometimes bring status into, religion, into our faith walk, and it's not there. It's not supposed to be there. Jesus actually says the opposite. We're, we're to humble ourselves, and we'll be exalted not exalt ourselves. And I fear the way that God will humble us down the road. So we are to not have a viewpoint of this ladder that we're trying to climb spiritually, that God is the one who has done it all. There's nothing we do that elevates us above anybody else. The other thing that happens when the bad happens is the faith in possession. And we saw that in... Judas's story, but we see it here even more clearly. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And this is talking about a rich man who had basically said, I followed all your commandments. I've done what the law has said. And he's asking him, is there anything else I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus responds to him, there's still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. You see, what, I, what sticks out to me the most in this scripture is the part that says, Jesus felt genuine love. Jesus felt genuine love for him. He knew his answer. Jesus knew that his possessions, his comfort, his desire to, to have all these things was a wall that was keeping him from him and yet he still had genuine love for him amidst like in the midst of all that he didn't condemn him and say you're just this terrible person you have all these possessions you're not willing to give to the poor you're this bad person he says it says the opposite it says he has genuine love for him and wanted him to see 
his own security and his own possessions, that he was depending on that and not depending on what he, want, what he should have been depending on, which is Christ. The last one in the bad is, and, and, and this one's, I think is, it happens a lot, unfortunately, and we don't recognize it, but it's the spirit of unforgiveness. I see this a lot in broken homes where you felt that you've been either wronged by somebody, family member, loved one, in a relationship, and we build up this bitterness and resentment, and we hold on to it, and it affects us so negatively. It influences us in all these different ways. I've heard somebody describe it like this. Bitterness is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. It only damages us. It only influences us, and it's only going to cause more negative reactions for us. But Jesus talks about unforgiveness at length, and he's very clear about it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who had owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who had owed him a hundred silver coins. Big difference. 10,000 gold bags and a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister in your heart. Unforgiveness and resentment. Those can be just as damaging. And Jesus calls us to forgive those around us. If we recognize how much we are indebted to Christ and what he has been able to pay for our sins, we realize the things that people do against us are very minor compared to what we have done to Christ. Because so many times we sin and sin and sin again and ask for forgiveness and sin again. And yet Christ sits there and forgives us of our debt over and over again. And yet we focus on a small thing that somebody's done in our lives and we build up resentment and bitterness and it causes so much pain in our lives. And God is sitting there saying, I, I truly believe he's saying to you, I want you to forgive them in order to help you. Not them, to help you. Because I know this bitterness and resentment is going to cause damage in your life. And if you hold on to it, it will ultimately lead to the ugly, to those sins that we never thought we would commit. And so the bad can lead us to a spirit of unforgiveness. We can be so influenced in all these different things. So what happens when the bad happens? 
just kind of like I touched on with the soldiers, we can be inactive and we can find a state of comfort where we're not necessarily doing anything, but not doing anything in a way can be sin in itself. We get so focused on being comfortable in what the way things are. Are we seek justification and comparison? When the bad happens, we justify our sin. We compare ourselves to other, just like the righteous, the right, self-righteousness that the Pharisee showed towards the tax collector. Also, we become very self-focused. What can I get out of this? What can I do? What can, what can I benefit from this? It reminds me of the story of when the Pharisees would come and they would tithe at, in front of the, the, the temple. And one Pharisee brings you know, several coins and puts it in the offering and, and it's in front of everybody. So everybody sees it and it's kind of, look at me. And an old woman walks up and puts one coin in there and it's, it's kind of like a mockery. They kind of laugh. It's like, oh my gosh, one coin, like a penny this woman's given. And, and Jesus calls them out and says, she has given more than you have ever given. And so we can be very self-focused. And what was the purpose of the Pharisees? The Pharisees did it for their own that you would look at them as these great people. And the woman did it because she genuinely had a heart that wanted to give. And she gave all that she had. And that was a huge difference. That's what Jesus is focusing on. I'm focusing on your heart and not necessarily how much praise you can get from mankind or what you can do here. It's what you're capable of doing and what, what has been given to you. Are you willing to be obedient with that? We go to the good, and, and the good we can go through pretty quick because we understand what happens when the good happens. The, the, the slave is free. It says in Scripture that Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I tell you, every, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. And so through Jesus Christ, the save is set three, free through the good that he does. Also, the sick are healed. We hear of scripture where Jesus has healed the sick. He has caused us even our spiritual brokenness. Everything is healed by him. He reaches the lost. We hear stories of how he leaves the 99 and he values us and goes after the one sheep because he cares so much about us. And then we hear the stories of how he slays the giants in our lives and destroys those things that stand in our way. And here's the thing I want you to recognize. The ugly and bad, we can do by ourselves. The good, we can't. We can only do these things through Christ. We can only reach the lost through Christ. We can only heal the sick through Christ. We can only free the slaves to sin through Christ. And we can only slay the giant through Christ. David would not have slayed the giant if God was not in the midst of that. I truly believe that. If David would have went on his own strength, he would have been slaughtered. But because he went with God being with him and trusted in God, he was able to do something that nobody thought possible. A young shepherd boy defeating a giant. And that's what God does in our lives is he comes in and he's able to do the impossible in our lives because we cannot do the good without him. So that's the big thing. We can do the ugly. We can do the bad. It's going to cause destruction. It's going to cause pain. And God so desperately does not want that for us. He genuinely loves us. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be healed. 
He wants to reach us. And he wants to take away those things that so easily destroy us. When the good happens, we realize the battle has been won. That's kind of a weird concept. I take away that ladder idea that we have to earn our way up to be accepted or received by God. The battle has already been won. Jesus has already been victorious in what he is doing, and he's going to continue to be victorious. And he has defeated the sin in our lives. He's defeated those things. We, he's just waiting for us to receive that gift. Waiting for us to receive the gift that he has for us of forgiveness and hope. And, and that's exactly what happens. Our sin is forgiven and our hope is restored. The battle has already been won. There's nothing that we have to do to climb this ladder to be accepted by God. It has all been done. And he is waiting for us with compassion and genuine love for us to receive it. You know, I, I sat here and I said, well, what's the big picture here? I looked at all this and, and the question goes, you know, what is influencing you? And I asked myself the good, the bad, the ugly. And scripture tells us to lay aside everything that's going to hinder us. In Hebrews, it tells 12, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. But I sat there and I said, what's the big picture, Chris? What's the, the thing? Because if we want to follow Christ, we have to be able to, inf we want to be able to influence this world through through Christ. We want Christ to come through us and influence and make a difference in this world. So what's the big picture? How, how are we going to do that? And I just thought, don't forget the gospel, the good news. I sat there and I looked at my own story of how I grew up in the church and I had a lot of head knowledge and I had a lot of things that I'd learned and I knew it was right or wrong and I tried things on my own and I fell so many times. And the thing that brought me back more than ever is the good news that no matter how far you've fallen, Chris, I'm there for you. And I'm here for you. And I just want you, I want to have a relationship with you. I just kept hearing God knocking on my heart. You, I want relationship with you, but you don't want it yet. And even matter how far I ran, it was like he still was there saying, I still want relationship with you. And that is the good news. No matter how much we put our hand up and say, no, God, no, God, he's still pursuing us. He's still chasing us. And it says that in scripture. It says it right there. Why did Jesus come? It's very basic. For God so loved. He came down to serve us, to love us, to be able to be that sacrifice for us so that we can have relationship with him. And so I say, how do we influence this world outside of these walls? We can get so stuck up in the negativity of 2020. We can get so stuck up in all the things that are going wrong. Why aren't we out loving this world and showing them the love of Christ that is so different than anything else? And that's how we're going to reach people. That's how people are going to see who Jesus Christ really is. It's not me going up to them and saying, man, you're such a terrible person. You're so simple. You need to be in church. How many people have come to church when I said that to them? None. Because they don't feel like they belong. And the truth is, we all sinned. We've all messed up. And by the grace of God, the good news, he has received us into his family. He has redeemed us. He has given us that forgiveness of sin. And he has created in us hope for the future.
And so we should do that also by showing and communicating that to others. And when we do that, man, we get to see God work. And you know what? I, I'm excited today because I've got to see God work in my youth group and, and just in the youth ministry. Um, is Abby here? I want her to come up here. Come here, Abby. So Abby is one of my youth leaders. And she's a rock star because she has to work with teenage girls. Um, I can't, uh, the patience is really hard. I'm telling you guys, pray for me. Um, no, but she's always there every Wednesday working with these girls. And it's just so neat to see one of my youth leaders spend time outside of youth. I think you guys went on bike rides and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> like just constantly connecting with these girls, showing them the love of Christ. And one of my youth kids, and I'll call her up. She's actually going to be baptized, Emma Schluckaway. She came up to me during youth group probably two weeks, three weeks ago. I don't want to, uh, yeah, she's like, I don't know. She says, I want to be baptized. No, I didn't say, does anybody want to be baptized? And I want to be baptized, Chris. And I was like, me being the terrible youth pastor I am, I said, okay, we'll, get it, we'll, get, we'll make it happen. And then she comes up to me the next week. I want to be baptized. This wasn't just a decision she made out of emotion. This is something that she feels God is calling on her heart to be baptized because she has received Christ in her heart. And I've seen her, just how she interacts with her friends, the encouragement and love that she has for her friends. And just, it's just so neat, but it wouldn't be possible without Abby being that volunteer to fill in the gaps because uh, we have had a lot of kids at our youth group and we need these volunteers who spend that extra time to just love and encourage these girls and these boys uh, to be in the faith because there are so many things that are influencing us negatively. And I just appreciated her. So I wanted to, sorry, I embarrass you, but um, <laughs> I just wanted to say that too, just like, you do so much and God has been able to use you so much and he continues to use you. So I wanted her to be a part of this because she has been a part of Emma's walk. And so we were going to baptize her today. So let's take off this awesome looking cardboard. <laughs> okay, we put ice in it to, to make sure you're dedicated. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we heated it for you. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Leave it attached. Okay, you got it. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right, I want you to sit on your butt and sit at the front. Or you can sit that way. Perfect. Hold your nose. Emma Schluckway, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.